4: Happy Monday. Congratulations to Los Angeles Rams and their fans all across America. Uh, Congratulations to Cooper Cup, the MVP. Congratulations to Aaron Donald, who probably should have won the MVP, but who really cares? Aaron Donald cementing his legacy as perhaps the greatest NFL player of all time. He's certainly in that conversation. Uh, Rams win by three points, 23 to 20, I think. Did I get that right? Yeah, I think I got the score right. Seven straight NFL postseason games decided by three points or in overtime. Woo! Unbelievable. The NFL, it's on fire. Or I'm going to set it on fire in today's show, actually. Uh, Steve Kim, Shamika Michelle, and TJ Moe will join me. And we'll break down all aspects of the Super Bowl, including the halftime, which was just incredible. It was the greatest halftime show of. Well, no, it wasn't, but it was. I I, I got to admit, I enjoyed it. <clears throat> but it, greatest of all time, I'm not so sure. But uh, listen, I have an awesome show built around the Super Bowl. I'm going to start with a fire. I don't mean to rain on anyone's parade, because again. I enjoyed the Super Bowl, but I do have some complaints. I do have some things that concern me. Uh, and so we're gonna start there, and then I'll start bringing in our contributors, our soldiers, uh, Shamika Michelle, T.J. Moe, and Steve Kim. Uncle Jimmy, uh, still dealing with a bit of a uh, another little health crisis, COVID-related. Uh, Hopefully we'll have him back later in the week. Keep him in your prayers. All right, so uh, wanted to add that in. So now let's get it started. Let me go where no man has gone before. Uh, In the pop culture war raging across America, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell will be remembered as the modern day Ambrose Burnside. Union Major General Burnside is widely regarded as the most inept soldier of America's Civil War. His behavior and tactics during the Battle of Antietam were so incompetent that a bridge at the battlefield, Burnside Bridge, was named in his honor. Yesterday's Super Bowl 56 was Goodell's Antietam. Rebel forces bullied Goodell into turning television's largest platform and sports greatest meritocracy into a showcase for the left's tokenism and quota system that is cleverly branded as diversity, inclusion, and equity. The actual game was reduced to a prop, a stage to promote the left's vision of equality, a utopia where a handful of powerful elites select winners and losers based on skin color, sexuality, and gender. The diversity, inclusion, and equity coordination was kicked off by President Joe Biden's pre-game speech. The president blasted the league for not hiring more blackhead coaches, saying, quote, they haven't lived up to what they committed to and lived up to being open about hiring minorities to run teams, Biden told NBC News anchor Lester Holt. The whole idea that a league that is made up of so many athletes of color, as well as so diverse that there's not enough African-Americans qualified coaches to manage these NFL teams. It just seems to me that it's a standard that they'd want to live up to. It's not a requirement of law, but it's a requirement that I think of just some generic decency, generic decency. What a weird choice of words. To me, that sounds like generic charity, but Biden's calling it generic decency. Like that's the mandate, generic decency. So Biden got the ball rolling, Goodell and NBC took it from there. Approximately 30 minutes before kickoff, singers Mary Mary performed the so-called Black National Anthem in the parking lot of SoFi Stadium. Minutes later, tennis legend and LGBT icon, Billie Jean King entered the on-field festivities. She narrated a video about Title IX and inclusion. She then did the pregame coin toss. Before Sunday, I was unaware of any connection between Billie Jean King and professional football. Oh, huh. greeting King for the coin toss was the game's lead referee, Ron Torbord the third black referee to oversee a Super Bowl. After the coin toss, a mixed race singer, Janae Aiko, performed America the Beautiful. Aiko was followed by black female country music singer, Mickey Guyton, whose claim to fame is a George Floyd inspired song. Aiko and Guyton are not household names. No one is gonna compare them to Whitney Houston. We were then introduced to NBC's Two female sideline reporters, the great Michelle Tafoya and Katherine Tappan. So far, by my calculation and estimation, tofoya is the only person I feel confident was there based on merit. Everyone else feels like an agenda, including The Rock, and The Rock's little stupid, whatever that was, Michael Buffer impersonation. He's out on the field right before kickoff. Both teams are out on the field and The Rock is out there shouting and hyping up both teams. Oh, and then the Pepsi halftime show put the exclamation point on the diversity, inclusion, and equity agenda. Let me be clear. I enjoyed the halftime show. I grew up listening to rappers Dr. Dre, Snoop, Eminem, 50 Cent, and soul singer Mary J. Blige. But gangster rappers are not appropriate for Super Bowl halftime. Gangster rap, whether you like it or not, is lyrical pornography. It's to be ingested in the privacy of your headphones. Dr. Dre is Hugh Hefner. Snoop is Johnny the Wad Holmes. Eminem is Ron the Hedgehog Jeremy. 50 Cent? Well, he's 250 Cent now. (laughs) I get that rap music is the best selling, most popular form of music, but it's just dumbed down garbage. If you can talk, you can perform it. Popularity does not signify greatness. In this era, it signifies perversion. Porn is the most popular form of movie making. Should we now give porn Oscars? Nothing is more downloaded, more on the internet. That doesn't mean pornography should be placed on our largest platforms. Dre and Snoop hosted a gangster party, a celebration of gang culture on the Super Bowl stage. It was billed as the mainstreaming of black culture. Do white people claim Hugh Hefner Johnny the Wild Holmes and Ron the Hedgehog Jeremy as beacons of white culture? They're the kings of movie making. Their movies, their pornography is the most accessed, downloaded thing, you know, in America. Super Bowl 56 is what Roger Goodell's leadership has wrought. Off the field, the NFL is adhering to a script dictated by the diversity, inclusion, and equity gods. The league is adding female coaches to every staff. It is pushing out established referees to make room for women and black men. Soon, it will adopt new measures to further pressure ownership to hire black head coaches. General Goodell keeps saying diversity, inclusion, and equity are the league's highest priorities. It's a deadly script that will erode the integrity of the game. The erosion is happening on the field. Seven straight NFL playoff games were decided by three points or less or in overtime. NBC called it the super seven. Football fans are growing more and more concerned with the suspect officiating that made it all happen. Rigged is the adjective of choice over super. The Bengals led by four points late in Sunday's Super Bowl. The Rams drove 71 yards and then stalled at the Cincinnati 8-yard line. On third down, Los Angeles quarterback Matt Stafford threw incomplete to Cooper Cup. The reps bailed out the Rams by ignoring a false start penalty on three L.A. linemen and calling Cincy linebacker Logan Wilson for defensive holding. The non-call and call changed the ending of the game. The Rams now had first and goal at the Cincinnati Four. The Reps put Los Angeles in position to win the game. The Rams took advantage. See, when you embrace a script off the field, eventually you have to embrace a script on the field. When you bite the poisonous fruit, the whole garden is corrupted. Under General Goodell's leadership, the NFL has rejected the values that made it the strongest force in popular culture. Football is now in the business of manipulating and controlling outcomes off the field. A handful of powerful elites ignore merit and decide who officiates, who tosses the coin, who sings, and who reports on the games. It sounds harmless and inconsequential, it's the Goodell bridge to chaos and racial division. Merit has been replaced by agenda. Suspect officiating and close scores will not mask the decline in competition and performance forever. That's my fire. I, listen, I, I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the halftime. But I'm just I don't walk away from what I witnessed yesterday without concerned about the NFL's future and the direction it's chosen. I, 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 again, they're trying to be very clever with what they're doing. And it's my fault because I think last year's Super Bowl, I did not tune in. I did not turn on my TV until the game kicked off. I made the mistake of tuning in 45 minutes before kickoff and catching all the diversity, inclusion, and equity garbage that they've brought in. And it is so over the top. So, I mean, basically what the NFL did is said, you know what, <clears throat> Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, you're gonna be the only white men involved in the broadcast of this game. In, in terms, we want to hear from this black ref on any calls. Uh, Billy G. King somehow has something to do with the NFL and wheeling her out there and letting her waddle out to midfield somehow had something to do with the NFL. The Rock and his yelling and screamings had something to do with the NFL. Who? Mary Mary and the Black National Anthem out in the parking lot of SoFi Stadium. Whoever these women were that sang America the Beautiful and the National Anthem. Are you kidding me? Who are they? What what did they do to, I mean, the National Anthem at the Super Bowl Damn near as prestigious as the Super Bowl halftime performance. Mickey Guyton? I don't know even, I don't know if she said I live here in Nashville. I don't know if she's got a country music hit. She did some George Floyd song inspired Black Like Me or something that you know the wokes loved and social media loved but that song didn't sell. That's who sung the national. We've gone from Whitney Houston to somebody with no track record. It's I don't get it. Uh, I'm not. Are people even aware? I'm going to take this to the halftime show, and and (laughs) are people even aware of the history of the halftime show? and And, and I, I'm just entering this in as food for thought. I don't even know what I think of it, but this morning, in preparing for this show and preparing for what I was going to talk about, d- did y'all know that, did y'all know and or remember, that the television show in Living Color actually inspired or turned? the Super Bowl halftime from a nothing event into holy cow, we gotta bring out the big guns. That, that before Michael Jackson, I believe in 1993, the Super Bowl halftime was a bunch of really, really has-beens, or I think in 92 it was, it was Disney. It was some kind of Disney musical thing that, that was nothing. The Super Bowl halftime was kind of a joke. And then, so the Super Bowl is on another network and In Living Color, the comedy show, and Fox says, you know what, we're gonna counter program against the Super Bowl. And and they did some kind of spoof Super Bowl show on Fox. They told everybody, they broadcasted it beforehand, come watch our Super Bowl halftime, it'll be better than that garbage. That CBS puts on and they did a bunch of comedy sketches and just it was amazing and 22 million people watched that Fox Super Bowl halftime special and the ratings for that Super Bowl actually dipped in the second half because so many people flipped over to see Fox's Super Bowl show And the next year, you know what the card the NFL played? Michael Jackson, do do halftime. We will not be counter-programmed against. And Michael Jackson was the first time that the Super Bowl ratings actually peaked at halftime. And so that, this whole little, oh God, yesterday, with Dre, and so, this was the greatest halftime of, I mean, stop it. Michael Jackson, performed at halftime. Prince performed at halftime. Prince killed it. I am just happen to be a Michael Jackson super fan, but Prince actually killed his Super Bowl halftime performance. A bunch of guys rapping, talking on a microphone, and grabbing their cotch, crotch and crip walking. And again, I'm not, I'm not taking a dump on it. I grew up on that music. We've been dancing to that music for 20, 30 years. I get it. But let's don't kid ourselves. Rap music live, these guys talking and rapping and grabbing their crotch and, and all, this whole celebration again, was nothing. It's fine, again, I'm, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. Not a big fan of Kendrick Lamar's. You know, I thought he chose the wrong song and just, and maybe it's for younger people, I, I, I didn't get the whole Kendrick Lamar thing. 250 Cent, In The Club is one of the greatest rap songs of all time. If you have no rhythm, you have no interest in dancing If you can't, if In The Club don't make you wanna move your body. But anyway, we're gonna unpack all the stuff I just brought up and a little bit more. Uh, in today's conversation, it, 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 we're going to talk about the game, and we'll get into Matt Stafford. We'll get into Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup, uh, the officiating. We'll, we'll get into all that with T.J. and 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 Steve Kim. Uh, we're going to start after this break with Shamika Michelle. We'll talk a little bit about halftime and. Uh, some of the cultural impact and was, was this some giant moment for black people yesterday? Uh, like they said, we'll start there with Jamika next, but stick around. We're going to just break down the entire Super Bowl to be the best Super Bowl discussion you will hear today. Uh, but before we do all that, I want to bring it talk about my good friends at Good Ranchers. It's no secret that I love to eat. But what I love even more is supporting companies that share the same values as me. That's why I shop with Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers provides the best quality, 100% American meat from farms right here in the heartland. So unlike your local grocery store, nothing you get from them is shipped from overseas. You'll get the high-quality beef, chicken, and seafood for a price and taste that cannot be beaten. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com slash Fearless today to have delicious American meals on your table. Order now with the code FEARLESS to get $25 off your box. Now is the time to support American farms and ranchers. They're hurting and you're hungry. Solve both of those problems with a box of American meat. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Fearless. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Support the people that support you, me, and our values. All right, Shamika Michelle, Next. All right, welcome back. We're gonna roll out to uh, North Carolina and bring in the star of all stars of this show, Shamika Michelle. Uh, we'll start by unpacking the Super Bowl halftime show uh, with Shamika. Uh, Shamika, uh, let's start with an easy one. Were you pleased? Did you enjoy the Super Bowl halftime?
5: First, Jason, let me say thank you for buttering me up, calling me the star of all stars since you missed my birthday yesterday. So I appreciate I'm that.
4: Happy Valentine's Day, <laughs> Shamika.
5: <laughs> thank you but my birthday is way more important but yes Hi. i enjoyed the the show um i saw someone say that the sound quality was bad i thought it was just a tv that i was watching it on but i did enjoy the show i didn't feel like they embarrassed me which was what i was kind of afraid of i didn't want them to go too woke or to go you know f the police so i i'm i was pleased i was happy with the show
4: Can you rank any of the performers best to worst?
5: I'm not a fan of Kendrick Lamar, although I do believe that lyrically he is good. I know that the young kids really like him. He was my least favorite. I think Mary was my favorite of course i said she was going to win the super bowl and i think she did i think that she looked good to be 51 years old she performed well i don't think she had anything that was controversial in her in her song so i was really pleased i think mary was my favorite But I've been a Mary J. Blige fan since I think my senior year, maybe when she came out. So I think she was really, really good. I was happy to see a clean, healthy Mary.
4: You know, it's it's I could I can't disagree with that comment. I really enjoyed Mary's performance. I'm just. So even at 54, I'm still starstruck by Dr. Dre, and I, I just think it's incredible his music and genius and so i enjoyed him the most Kendrick Lamar was my least favorite the song he chose i don't think fit the festivities and just the because it seemed like most of the stuff from the other guys was danceable and just you know a bit more high-spirited and uplifting or whatever and so You know, Kendrick to me takes himself too seriously, and people take Kendrick too seriously. I I, I see the rest of these people as like these are the biggest stars with music that anybody, if you like to dance, and white, black, green, yellow, whatever. That stuff from uh, Fifty Cent to Snoop and Dre. Everybody's danced to those songs, and you know, "Lose Yourself" is a classic song. And so, I I, I I'd probably go Dr. Dre, Mary, and then put, and and then maybe 50 Cent, and then put Kendrick at the bottom. Uh, the the thing that I saw caught a lot of attention over the internet, uh, that I it just totally blew over my head was that uh, Eminem took a knee. Uh, during, I think his performance of "Lose Yourself," and I, I remember him doing it, but I did not connect it to Colin Kaepernick. That was the la- there was no national anthem playing. It's not like there was some flag waving somewhere, and so it just didn't do anything to me or for me. And and I don't even find it controversial. What do you think?
5: I agree with you, Jason. I totally missed it. I think my eyes were on Dr. Dre, and I'm sure for different reasons than than yours. He was the alpha male on the stage. And so I didn't even notice Eminem. You know, uh, I missed all of that. When I went to look back today and I'm seeing people's tweets and they're saying, oh, he, you know, did a tribute to Colin Kaepernick. I was like, where? I had to go back and rewatch it because, Yes, Dre was on stage, and I didn't see anything else besides that. You know, he is, to me, a musical genius. He has, what, you know, six, seven Grammys, producer of the year for one of them. And I don't know, he does uh, command the stage when he's up there. So I, Eminem who? (laughs) That's what it was for me.
4: (laughs) The other highlight, and maybe the bigger talking point, was uh, 250 Cent, his performance of In the Club. Are are we being too hard on 250 Cent?
5: No, because 50 Cent is always hard on everybody else. 50 Cent is known for picking on people. If you uh, follow his Instagram, he always has something to say about everyone else. So no, I don't think we're being too hard on him. I do think for a man in his 40s, he looks really good still, but he has gained a little weight. He was a little chunky and he certainly would not hold back when it came to someone else. So I say, let him have it for sure.
4: <laughs> yeah, I think. I, wasn't it him and Floyd Mayweather that used to get in the beefs, and maybe he told, said Floyd couldn't read or something like that? So hopefully, Floyd will have something to say uh, about 250 Cent, and, and that beef can continue. Uh, let me ask you about my analogy and my Firestarter and my monologue. I analogize gangster rap music to p- pornography, and, and I do it respectfully, and and as respectfully as you can analogize something to pornography, uh, people have to understand, like, Hugh Hefner and Playboy magazine and pornography are wildly popular, wildly pervasive uh, within American culture and the culture at large. Uh, and And that's kind of how I see gangster rap music is, is like, I don't like listening to gangster rap music around other people, I really don't. Because it's just too profane, the N word and all that. But I gotta admit, I enjoy it. <clears throat> uh, and that's kinda, I, I had to, that would be kinda how I would have to compare my, I've been to Hugh Hefner's mansion and for when Hef was around and alive, I went several times to parties there. Uh, So I can't sit here and pretend like I don't. I don't. don't, I'm too good. I don't like anything about porn. But there's a time and a place, very private, if you're going to enjoy that. Do you think I'm crazy for that analogy?
5: I don't think you're crazy. And when you just paused, Jason, you scared me a little bit because I thought you were going to talk about your right hand versus your left hand again. And I just didn't know how I was going to (laughs) respond. But no, I do think that you're right. Rap music, some of it, it doesn't leave anything to the imagination. I think about Ghetto Boys. They have a song called Other Level. That is one of the most sexually explicit songs that I have ever heard and I do like it, but no, I would not want to listen to it in front of my grandmother. I think it would be very offensive to her and she would wonder what in the world. So, And I do think rap probably is the most explicit music. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head that just comes right out and say it. Everything else, a lot of times you have to listen listen to it real hard and figure out, oh, you know, like when Michael Jackson says, it just feels like heaven, so I did it in. I mean, that was a little bit, you know, what? You have to listen to it. But with rap, they just come right out and say what they want to do, how graphic they want it to be, how it's going, like, so I do agree with you that is very um, explicit. I don't think that What they did on yesterday went to the extreme, but some of it, you've made a great analogy with that. That's true. Uh,
4: One thing they slipped in that I don't know, you had to be very clever. You had to be from L.A., in my view. You had to probably be involved with gang culture to get what they slipped in. But they took a little shot at Suge Knight, the former... CEO and founder of Death Row Records, who's now uh, in prison, probably for the rest of his life, for he ran over a man outside of a, a a restaurant spot called Tams, and they made a reference to Tams on screen. Some, and it was a clear shot at Suge Knight. Uh, what did you think of that? Uh, and and do you think? If Suge were free, uh, they would be making those kind (laughs) of (laughs) jokes.
5: No, I was just thinking, if that was a a shot towards Suge, thank goodness he'll be there for a while. I didn't I didn't notice that at all either because initially I just read up on it and I saw that those were popular Compton landmarks Tams Dale's Donut, uh, Eve's After Dark so I really just thought they were paying homage to the city that they're from and but if that was to Suge Knight then lucky for them it'll it'll be a while hopefully he can't hire anybody on the outside because they better be you know. Do what the ghetto boys said, uh peeping over their shoulder and look peeping around corners looking over their shoulders. That's what they need to do from here on out. Cause <laughs> Suge is not gonna let that slide.
4: <laughs> you know what, I wanna wrap this up by you made a reference to Dre and his persona and how he commands the stage and how he has this air of masculinity. And when I go think of the NWA movie that they put out, that was one of the things in that movie, and again, those members had a lot of influence over the content of the movie. Dre portrayed himself in that movie as the ultimate alpha male of that group. He he wouldn't back down to Suge and his thugs and gang members. And I remember when I saw the movie, I was like, I wonder, do I buy this? Was Dre really this tough, this independent, or is this now Dre putting a movie out and, and uh, Suge locked away and, you know, no real power outside of the penal institution? Do you buy that Dre is that tough of a guy?
5: Jason, the way he makes my body hot, I I do buy it. (laughs) My body don't lie. But um, I heard that he also had hired a hitman uh, that was there at the time at that Tams Burger. So I do feel like Dre is as tough as you know, he comes across, and I know that he's known as a woman beater, but that makes me think of Billie Holiday's song, ain't nobody's business but my own, Uh, because he just does it for me all the way.
4: (laughs) (laughs) We will end on that note. Thank you so much, Shamika. All right, uh, stay tuned. TJ Moe and Steve Kim are just around the corner. We're going to do a deep dive into the actual football of the Super Bowl, what we thought of the officiating. Uh, but before I get there, I wanna tell you about relief ban. Did you know that one out of three Americans regularly suffer from nausea? It could be in the backseat of a car, staring at your phone after one too many on, on a night out, or even just the anxiety of a work day. If nausea has ever ruined your day, I've got good news. It's called relief ban. Relief ban is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wrist ban that has been clinically proven to both quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting. Relief Band is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural, long-lasting relief with zero side effects. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for the fearless audience. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code FEARLESS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So head to reliefband.com, that's R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use my promo code FEARLESS for 20% off plus free shipping. TJ Moe, the Show Me Kid, next. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's, head out, let's head out to the former home of the Los Angeles Rams, St. Louis. Uh, I'm sure TJ Moe had on all of his Rams gear yesterday and is just thrilled and excited that the Los Angeles Rams have won a Super Bowl. Uh, TJ, uh, how excited were you? <laughs> you?
1: were not excited to see the Rams win the Super Bowl? I was not excited to see the Rams win the Super Bowl. I, uh... You got that exactly correct. We talked last week. They they were forced to give us $900 million, which I was pretty happy about because St. Louis needs some serious rebuilding as a city. But uh, my preference would have been if we didn't have such cowardly leadership here in the city that Stan Kroenke was forced to be in court this week while his team was trying to win a Super Bowl in uh, his $5 billion stadium. That's what should have happened. The city itself, our, our mayor and our St. Louis County executive, they cracked and they they took the money instead of forcing the entire nfl to go through discovery which is what should have happened they would have had to open their books we would have seen a lot of emails Uh, that was what should have been a blockbuster story and just leave it to the city of st louis to absolutely blow that and just give la everything they ever dreamed of
4: all right uh let's move on to the field where You know, if you had any speed, athleticism, any skill, you could have been Cooper Cup yesterday. (laughs) Uh, Instead, you're talking to us. Uh, (laughs) uh, Were you happy and impressed with Cooper Cup? Did he deserve the MVP?
1: Yes, because, see, this is why they were very clever, whoever originally came up with MVP, because value is completely arbitrary. It's the, it's not it's not objective, right? His value mid game, the second OBJ tore up his knee, his value went through the roof, and so Aaron Donald was the same value that he started the game with, and he was dominant. But the value of Cooper Cup in what was an otherwise unbelievably stagnant offense until they decided they were going to force feed it to the best receiver in the league, uh, to go win the Super Bowl, his value went through the roof. And so by the definition of my my definition of value, I would say he absolutely did because Aaron Donald could be as dominant as he wanted to be yesterday. And they were still losing the game 17 to 13 or whatever it was. And so, uh, you know, Donald's great. He, he, uh, I don't know if I've told you this story before. I was in camp with Aaron Donald with the Rams in 2014 when he was a rookie. His first practice there, number one, okay, you don't have uh, you don't have pads on yet. And we were doing, uh, you know how they're modified walkthroughs. They're like full-speed walkthroughs, especially with the rookies. And Tim Barnes was the center at that time. Tim Barnes played with me. He was a captain at Mizzou. Good center, not a dominant player, but a good center. And Tim went to go snap the ball, and Aaron was standing in the backfield already and uh, i was standing next to brian schottenheimer and he said that is your defensive rookie of the year it was the first play that anybody ever saw him and and he was lifting with um, greg robson at that time greg robinson turned out to not be a very good football player but he was a number two overall pick out of auburn and he was unbelievably strong and a monster and aaron aaron as you've seen on the field he's not this crazy physically imposing figure he's somewhat short for a defensive lineman and has more leverage than you've ever seen so i think he's the best defensive player that's ever existed you can make an argument that he's the best player that ever existed but in yesterday's game cooper cup brought more value because on the last drive when you had to have it he couldn't go anywhere else and the value was right there with number 10 who over and over made the plays that they had to go win the super bowl
4: i slightly disagree with you but i'm not in a real way that's worthy of debate I think Aaron Donald, the third and one stop, and then the fourth and one stop, you know, he's the closer. He's the Michael Jordan of the NFL. He closed out the playoff game in the NFC Championship as as well. Uh, Aaron Donald is just something we've never seen. T- tell me this, TJ, and I-, I was not aware that you were in camp with Aaron Donald. He seems like a really incredibly nice and engaging human being as well. And it it seems like he has some kind of natural charisma that his teammates are attracted to that's not a product of any sort of arrogance. It's a product of of confidence and a work ethic. And and again, I know you don't know him well, but uh, what were your impressions of him just as a guy?
1: So, who he, How he carries himself today, I would imagine, is quite different from what he did back then. This was his rookie year. He actually slid in the draft to number 13, when obviously he's, he's become the, the greatest player, uh, of, certainly, of my generation. He was out of pit, so he wasn't a guy that came. You know, It's like Greg Robinson was at Auburn where they won a national championship. He was the number two pick. Aaron Donald wasn't even the first pick on his own team that year. And so he came in without all the fanfare. Everybody knew immediately, as I just pointed out, that he was the guy, Um, but he carried himself like he had a chip on his shoulder. And so it's very different now. Aaron has known for quite a while that he's the best player in the world. Um, He didn't know that back then. He thought he was good. He it seemed felt a bit disrespected. And so he carried himself very reserved, very quiet. He was not a guy who was real loud. Um, and on, on those Rams teams when, uh, when they were winning two and three uh, games a year, you had some louder guys who were just trying to make fun of personality. Aaron wasn't that guy, at least back then. And, and we, you know, uh, there was some stuff on NBC yesterday where Von Miller has actually encouraged him to be a little bit more vocal because when he talks, people listen. And you know guys like that. The guys who don't talk very often, when they do talk, then everybody listens up. That is, uh, that is the Aaron Donald that I saw. Again, a little bit different from a guy who was in his first few months of his rookie season, but seems to me as a very reserved guy that people liked. It's really hard to dislike a guy that doesn't talk all that often.
4: That is true. Uh, all right. I opened the show monologue talking about uh, Roger Goodell's commitment to diversity, inclusion, and equity, that he's basically the worst general in the culture war. He surrendered. Uh, did did they pull this off without distracting from the game, though? I mean, they ran Billie Jean King out there. They ran out. The, some country music star no one's ever heard of, female, some, some, another woman singing America the Beautiful no one's ever heard of, uh, they threw the rock out there, uh, President Biden in a pregame interview. Did, did, was the game so competitive and entertaining that the, the diversity, inclusion, the, the woke stuff didn't distract from the game?
1: The NFL is a lot of things. Stupid is not one of them. I think they're well aware that everybody's at a Super Bowl party and not paying a whole lot of attention until the game starts. You might tune in for the national anthem. Most people are hanging out and all talking, and then when it's kickoff, they turn the TV up. And so I, I think they do a lot of that stuff and it's for show. It's just a, Hey, look, here's here. We're, we're, we're woke. Here you go. And then they got to it and you saw that wasn't the, it was hip hop, but it wasn't the most woke halftime show you've ever seen. I mean, Beyonce with her, uh, 2013, that was, Black you know, Heather. yes. Okay. So we've gone from 2013 and the, the worst thing we saw at the halftime show was Eminem taking a knee of which I don't even think you, I certainly didn't take it as a Kaepernick thing. It, it seemed to me that he was paying homage to Dr. Dre as it was his turn. Hey, show's over, my part's done, take a knee, here's the king. That's what it looked like to me. So if, if it was a Kaepernick thing, it went right over my head, and I'm paying attention. And so I think, I think people my age, you know, I, I had uh, 50 cents in the club as my ringtone in the eighth grade, okay? So people my age... These were like this was it it brings you back to a time where you didn't have to think about that stuff. And it wasn't overly political. Most of us have watched straight out of Compton. So, you know, it's like you got to, you know, a little bit of history, minimal. And uh, I didn't think it was super woke. Now, you could you could tell as uh, if you're paying close attention. What you pointed out in your monologue was absolutely true. Like being a white guy it was not a, uh, a great qualification to be on yesterday's broadcast. You, you know, you had the two guys calling the game and then Drew Brees at halftime. That was about it. Other than that, you had Michelle Tafoya, who's already left and joined the um, Minnesota governor's campaign. She's a Republican, so she didn't fit in super well on the uh, on the broadcast yesterday. Outside of that, it was it was just, you know, it was a bunch of diversity. Right. And so. I'd say it's more about the game. I, I was less worried about that. I, I have a theory on this whole thing, truly, because the yesterday's culmination of the Rams winning the Super Bowl in L.A., bringing back the market started in 2012 when Jeff Fisher was hired as the head coach to move the team. This was, this was Roger Goodell and Stan Kroenke and Jerry Jones dream 2012, a decade ago, they said, we've got to get LA back. There's over 5 million televisions there. It's the second biggest media market in America. We got to get them there. And this is how we're going to do it. They started planning a decade ago. What you're playing, the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl. So it's not like you're playing against the Patriots. You're not playing against the Steelers or the Chiefs. Like if it comes to these 50-50 calls of which we saw some yesterday, they were always going to go the Rams way because the Rams needed to win in their $5 billion stadium with the West coast hip hop being glorified at halftime, getting the city to care again. Cause it's been a Lakers town forever and they had to figure a way to wrestle it back. And so, you know, the, if you're going to pander one direction to bring it back to your original question, and you're gonna get LA, you're not pandering to the right. There's no Republicans out there. You are pandering to the left to get the city back. And that's what they did yesterday.
4: Which perfectly segues into what did you think of the officiating? What did you think of this whole super seven of seven straight NFL playoff games decided by three points and or overtime? Uh, I, I thought the officiating was appropriate i'm not going to say good or bad appropriate for 57 minutes they were instructed don't call <laughs> anything and they didn't and then they get to the final three minutes and they start throwing mickey mouse flags ignoring false starts what did you think of the officiating
1: you know if uh, if i would have gotten the call that cooper Cup did over the middle I may still be playing because that call doesn't exist. If you could just cross somebody's face and the linebacker doesn't get to touch you at all, then everybody would score a touchdown on every play. Here it is on screen. Now that is not a penalty. As a guy that played the slot my whole career, because I wasn't fast enough to play outside, I had to cross the face of a lot of linebackers and their way of slowing you down is to stick your hand out. It was a poorly thrown ball. It was in his chest or behind him instead of leading him into the end zone. That was a total bailout after, as you pointed out, The entire offensive line had a false start. And so I think, I think the this was a group of, I don't know the background of the referees, but uh as you pointed out, it may have been a a more of a uh DIE crew than the the greatest crew that the NFL had to offer. They they probably had their instructions of, hey, it's if it's 50-50, we sure would like to see the LA Rams here in LA lifting the trophy. And so it came down to it. I don't listen, I'm not a conspiracy guy, I don't think it was rigged. But again, having an LA celebration, there was there was there's no wonder it was Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre there at halftime in LA in a five billion dollar stadium that's been in the works for a decade, and they settled the lawsuit with St. Louis because they needed that market back. They went and got it back last night. Final question
4: uh, for today on the Super Bowl uh, with, for, with you, but Matt Stafford, people are now. <laughs> Hall of Famer. He wins one Super Bowl. Uh, he's got some big stats from Detroit. I, I'm just sorry. And I like Matt Stafford. But he's gotta, do, he gotta win a, another Super Bowl before I'm ready to call this guy a Hall of Famer. And he's got tremendous talent. I always liked him in Detroit. Uh, I like him in L.A. But, you know, we're really just—he's in the Hall of Fame right next to uh, Tom Brady and Joe Montana and Dan Marino. Uh, I'm just not ready to go there, right? We're, we're we're getting out over our skis, crowning Matt Stafford.
1: I like sort of how uh, how you put it last week when you said, you know, we've gone to something that said, you know, well, it's it's can you write history without him, you know? I could write the history of the NFL without Matthew Stafford. I mean, I don't like that criteria either, but I, I could pretty much write it. Uh, the rest of us could. I, I don't think you judge a quarterback simply on stats, but they certainly matter, especially in a time where you have gaudy stats. And he's been really good. I think he was the first one to like 20,000 yards, 30,000 yards, 40,000 yards. Uh, I think he's like a few yards short of 50,000 for his career. And so he's a guy that uh, has has passed. He's been a gunslinger. But he's got eight seasons below 500 for his for his entire career he's below 500 he's 86 95 and one he's got one noteworthy award and it's comeback player of the year it's not mvp it's not offensive player of the year it's comeback player of the year he's not been on a single all pro team in his career prior to this year he had only made the playoffs three times and he was 0 and three and so the people who are trying to decouple winning from hall of fame uh, hall of fame inductions Have never played the game because the quarterback on the field is the person that can win you games. Aaron Donald can't win you games. Aaron Donald is as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm telling you, Aaron Donald (laughs) can (laughs) – how how many touchdowns does Aaron Donald have in his career? I don't know if he's got one. Doesn't matter. He stopped a bunch. Fair enough. But you got to score points to win. And the quarterback can do two things. The quarterback has to score points and also keep the other team from scoring points while he's on the field. You can't be the guy throwing pick sixes. You can't be the guy with strip sack fumbles. And you have to be the guy that's scoring points. You cannot decouple winning from the quarterback position. And so we're trying to do this, and I don't think you can. If Matthew Stafford was a true Hall of Famer, you don't have him stuck in Detroit where they lose – the only three playoff games he ever plays, and he's got one of the greatest receivers that ever exists, and they still don't go too far. Like, don't get me wrong. Detroit is an absolute dumpster fire. But if we're going to start talking Hall of Fame, he better have a full second career in L.A. before we're ready to have this discussion.
4: Totally agree. Uh, Thank you. Great job. Appreciate it. We'll see you later this week. All right, that's T.J. Moe. Stick around uh, the Korean Cosell. We'll have the final say so on this Super Bowl today. Uh, You guys can go to uh, shopblazemedia.com and get you some blaze gear. You better be on youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hitting that subscribe and like button. And you need to be over at Apple's giving me that five star review. All right, the Korean Co. sale.
0: We must exist in a state of man-glorious, as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible, with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and And of of this this nation. nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights which are granted by our heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen.
2: All right.
4: Time to bring in the Korean Cosell and, you know, kind of put a bowl on all these conversations uh, we've been having. Uh, Steve, I'm not sure. If that was a great Super Bowl or not, I know it had a close finish and ending, uh, but I think that's kind of a byproduct of the officiating we've kind of come to expect in the NFL. Uh, At the end of games, there's going to be mystery flags that have dramatic impact on the game. So I'm going to start there. What did you think of the officiating in yesterday's game? The fish shading was fine for about 57
2: minutes and then all of a sudden the last drive, it almost seemed as though that the referees believed that the Rams were the storyline and they had to win the game or give them every opportunity to do so. (laughs) Here's what's interesting about that big uh, holding call uh, that extended that drive and put the ball literally uh, on the edge of the goal line. Jason, that play should have never started. It looked like a false start. It was clear to me that the ball had not been snapped, and at least two of the linemen were already backing up into their pass set. And I remember distinctly thinking, that's got to be a flag. And that right there was a missed call. And then you could say that the other call was 50-50. But overall, Jay, I thought it was a pretty competitive game. If you just look at it statistically, total yards, first downs, time of possession, all that stuff. It was a pretty even game, and it was dramatic. So, in my view, outside of the officiating, the
4: last two and a half to three minutes, I thought it was a pretty good Super Bowl. Outside of the officiating, look, here's what I thought about the officiating. Like, I knew early on they're going to stay out of the game. That that was a diversity crew they sent out there <laughs> uh, to to call the game. It was. I'm just. I'm sorry. It just was. <laughs> And they were instructed to stay out of the game and they did and then in the final three four minutes of the game they were instructed to get involved with the game and to make sure we manage the ending of this game and get the conclusion that we want i'm sorry i'm sure i'll be called a conspiracy theorist (laughs) and i won't be on anybody's christmas list uh, for saying that but i've just seen it too many times in the nfl These little last drives, generally speaking, there is some mystery pass interference call, and and what they did to Logan Wilson was criminal. That that was criminal. There was no, Mike Pereira, and I I think, do we have the clip of Mike Pereira uh, talking about uh, that last call? and and he mike the fox the the dean of nfl referees particularly talking on tv he's the best and brightest i i think we have that clip Let, let's here's mike pereira talking about that
3: logan wilson call well it's over the rams have won the super bowl and wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to talk about officiating? Because, in fact, it was a great game. But we must because there were a couple of big calls. Um, certainly the missed face mask, offensive pass interference call um, early in the third quarter that really went the Bengals' way because they scored a touchdown on the play. And then, of course, at the end of the game, Wilson gets called for a defensive holding call on a third and goal play. And it's just not holding. I mean, I get it. He is in contact with them. But you look to try to see if there's a jersey grab, if there's an extension of the jersey, something more than that. You know, you think about it. They really they really stayed away from this game. I don't want to say, I hate the term, they let them play. But in fact, the game was cleanly played. And, um, and then you get to that point in the game and you get this defensive holding call. You want to see what you saw right after that. On the holding call when when Cup was almost dragged to the ground, I mean, that's what you want to see called. But they'll talk about the two plays and, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. And it's a myth. Makeup calls are a myth. But in fact, when you look at those two plays, one Cincinnati's way, one the Rams way, um, it's a shame that we do have to talk about that. But that's the nature of officiating. You hardly ever go unscathed. And I'll still focus on the fact that there were only six accepted penalties. There were no replay reviews. There were no use of the video assistant. There were no expedited uh, reviews. The game was really actually well officiated, but there were two breakdowns that will lead to all of the discussion. Mm.
4: And, And so what we define as well officiated is basically the refs swallowing their whistles, and and I'm good with that if they're going to do it for 60 straight yeah. minutes. That that that's my problem, and and the ref on the Jalen Ramsey face mask penalty, he was out of position. I mean, he was just out of position. There was a ref about 10 yards away from these guys because he couldn't hmm. catch up to them. and and. I, I, I'm just, they stayed out of the game until they didn't, and then they got right in the middle of the game. I didn't like it.
2: Jason, on that last holding call uh, that Mike Prayer talked about, if that's a penalty, that means there's going to be a penalty on every play. You are allowed incidental contact. Another thing about this pass, uh, that's not a great pass it'd be a much bigger argument or better argument that, yes, that was a penalty. If the ball was actually out in front, the ball was behind him. That was a poorly placed ball by Matt Stafford. But if you're going to make that a penalty and you don't allow any incidental contact from a defender, then you, you could literally have a flag on every single play. So that becomes a slippery slope. And you're right. It's really interesting that all of a sudden for the first 57 minutes, like you said, Mike Pereira said, they let him play. Then all of a sudden, they put the handcuffs on the defenders with a certain team with the ball as it gets down to the nitty-gritty. It it does give you a moment to pause a little bit and think about things.
4: Keeping with my theme the entire show, I'm just telling you, when you start giving out these assignments not based on merit and they're given out based on agenda, people are far more cooperative. When you're not there because you earned it, you're going to do what you're told. And I, I'm just, for for us to be sitting here and saying, oh, it was, well, and again, I, I agree with that. Let them play. Quit calling all the baloney and blah, 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 but you got to do it for 60 straight minutes. And that's, that's where, you know, NBC is calling the last seven NFL playoff games the Super 7. All of them decided by three points except for the Kansas City game that went into overtime and was a six-point game. But i i I this I don't know if fans or a, there's a significant enough fan they're not using the term super. they're using the term rigged that mm. this is an amazing coincidence. Seven straight playoffs games <laughs> decided by a field goal or an overtime. You buying this, Steve?
2: Well, look, that call last night, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist and WWF fans will get this reference, that referee was Danny Davis, who was always in the middle of controversy. Um, you know, look, I feel for Bengals fans. I can tell you this. As I was at the 2003 Fiesta Bowl when Miami thought they had the national title back-to-back. I was actually at that game. We had all begun to celebrate. Miami players were streaming onto the field, but there was a flag a very, very debated flag to this day from the back judge on a play that looked to me like it was a clean pass breakup. It was Glenn Sharp against Jenkins, I believe. And the game went to overtime. Ohio State pulls the upset. It was a gut-wrenching defeat. I'm sure Bengals fans are going through the exact same thing. But here's the issue. Um, Do we now begin the discussion of Do we need full-time officials? I've never really believed that because the season's only three and a half, four months long. I I don't know what you do in the offseason. Now, the point you made about the Jalen Ramsey play, do we need younger officials that could keep up with the speed of the game? That is a discussion I think the NFL needs to have. And by the way, um, in other sports, these guys are consistently graded, and you always hear about officials being moved out. I'm sure the NFL has the same thing. Um, But uh, here's the problem. If you don't make this thing a meritocracy in terms of playoff assignments, these problems will keep cropping up year after year.
4: Well, it comes down to who's doing the grading and are they grading on a curve curve? And is it just like universities where some groups have to score this high to get in? (laughs) <laughs> Other groups can score this high, and in the name of diversity, inclusion, and equity, we let them in. That's, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's what it looks like to me. All right, let's move to on the field. Did you have, and again, problem is not the right word, but did they name the right MVP? Cooper Cup no. or Aaron Donald? Who's the MVP? Donald. Donald,
2: in my view, if you look at his impact, they always say this in basketball. The great players truly make everyone around them better. That's what Donald does. Donald's mere presence, every play that you line up against the Rams, you're, you're really focusing on where's 99 and do we have two, if not three, players around him. And starting from that one fracas they got into where he pushed out Burrow, those last five Bengal drives were punt, 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 punt. And that pass rush started to really break down the Bengals' offensive line, which, quite frankly, wasn't all that bad for about two and a half, three quarters that they got the ball out of Burrow's hands early. But Donald's presence, and that's where you have to really watch the game and understand it or talk to people that do. Defensive stats in football are the hardest things to decipher, Because you could be a nose guard that has an incredible impact on the game by eating up blockers and penetrating, and you could end up with two tackles, (laughs) and it doesn't look great on the box score, but the coaches know, like, man, that guy might be the most valuable guy. That's what Aaron Donald is. Aaron Donald, in my view, is one of the most complete football players I've ever seen, and if you look at his stat line, he had a sack, tackle for losses, he made impact, got hits on the quarterback, made the final play. But you also look at the other plays, that he sets up for his teammates, uh, it's amazing. And look, Cooper Cup is an amazing football player, may have had the greatest statistical season of any wide receiver over the past 21 games, but for large stretches, I don't know how much of an impact he made as that Rams offense sputtered. Uh, Aaron Donald once again proved he is the best football-playing gladiator we have in the National Football League.
4: I was in a debate this morning with Warren Sapp about this, and Mm. maybe we'll get Warren to come on tomorrow, but Warren actually thought, as well as Aaron Donald played, Mm. he thought Von Miller Mm. actually uh, played a little bit better. I disagree with that. Warren also adamant that Cooper Cup should have been the MVP, said he was left out there on an island when OBJ went down. It was all on him, and he got it done, scored two touchdowns. Uh, I I don't have a real problem because, one, I know how the MVP voting actually works. People don't talk about this all the time. Uh, or This is the way it used to work. Those ballots are cast, generally speaking, before the end of the game. Hmm. And, like, the people with those votes have made a mental note in their mind who they're voting for before the end of the game. Because they're trying to rush those in, then they're distracted with their own work. And so what I think happened here is before the final drive of the Bengals, people had made up their mind and or had cast their Cooper Cup ballots. And and I think... They didn't have a chance to evaluate because it's not just the last play where he got to Joe Burrow on third and one. He stopped the run. I mean, so on the final two defensive plays of that Super Bowl, that guy was on a mission and destroyed. I mean, to me, it, it's and I made this point to Warren Sapp this morning. They can call uh, Aaron Donald the closer. he, he that was some Michael Jordan S closing out of a team, closing out of a playoff game. And he did it the uh, two weeks before in the NFC Championship game. This guy is the closer. That was some Michael Jordan stuff. And, and I believe he should have been the MVP. I don't have a problem with Cooper Cup winning the MVP.
2: Jason, here's where I would push back against the quarterback killer, Mr. Sapp. Is it easier to get calls and to be a wide receiver in the modern NFL or to be a defensive player right now with the way the rules are called and the fact that you could literally call holding on every play in the interior of the line. And basically you saw Cup get a very, very sketchy call on the Rams' last drive. And Also, you're right. That third down play is not talked about enough. Um, where it actually walls off a blocker, holds his ground, P. Ryan looks like he's gonna get about three yards and move the chains, and he makes a superhuman effort to actually dip the ball um, or actually get the ball carry and carry him back. I, I don't know how many players in the history of football could have made that play. NFL Network after the game, Jason, they ran a graphic of players that have won two defensive player of the year awards and an NFL uh, Super Bowl. That list is Joe Green, Ray Lewis. Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White, and one other player. That right there shows you Aaron Donald, if there's a Mount Rushmore of NFL defensive players, if he's not the greatest, his mug needs to be chiseled out there on that statue.
4: Who did the better coaching job yesterday? Hmm. I don't know if I was super impressed with Sean McVay or Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor, I thought, on the Bengals' first possession, going for it on fourth and one, I just thought was stupid and, you know, lack of confidence in his offense, I mean, in his defense, uh, to kick that ball and play some field position uh, football. Sean McVay, in the second half, and I don't know how many times they ran it, but every time they ran it, my head nearly exploded. <laughs> I was like, hey, man, this running game ain't working. Just throw the ball. Just, just, just throw the ball. So, who did the better coaching job? Jason,
2: this is like, what would you rather have, the cold or the flu? Which one's just a little bit better for you to have? I don't think either guy was good. Look, when, when it comes to the Bengals, sometimes you have to think players and not plays. I don't mind the running play. That ball has to go to Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon is the most underrated facet of that Bengals offense. He's your number one back. He's, been, he's become a very good professional football player. Give him the ball. Give him the ball, and we might be talking about how Joe Burrow led a great comeback. Now, as it relates to Sean McVay, who I really like, that he, last night, he had what I call the Rush Limbaugh offense because how conservative was that? I think Chuck Knox even thought, yo, ditch the run. Here's a stat. Stats don't tell you everything, but they tell you something. I looked it up. Yesterday, the Rams ran the ball 23 times, and I get it. Got to keep the pass rush honest. Got to let your offensive lineman come off the ball. They averaged 1.9 yards per carry. So all you were basically doing was establishing second and third down and long. And I'm with you, Jay, especially (laughs) in the second half. Um, There comes a point in time where all you're doing is wasting a down. Every time they handed the ball off, I said that's a wasted down. And it reminds me of this great line from Doug Collins, because I finally think that McVay – was so desperate at the end. He said, okay, we got to go to our best players. I don't know if you remember this. Michael Jordan in the 88 or 89 Eastern Conference Finals hits this last-second shot against Detroit. They put him up 2-1. And at the press conference, Michael Jordan is there with Doug Collins. And someone says, hey, coach, what was that play called? And and Doug Collins blurts out, that play is get the ball to Michael. Everyone get the – out the way. So finally, in that last drive, McVay finally figured out. You know what? I got to go back to Cooper Cup. I mortgaged my whole future with Matt Stafford. You two guys have to win the game. So again, going back to what I said, sometimes it's about players, not just plays.
4: Steve, I'm going to throw you a a tiny curveball. Didn't tell you I was going to ask this question. (laughs) But it's, it's one of my strongest thoughts from this game. I actually leave the Super Bowl far more impressed with the Cincinnati Bengals Mm. than the Los Angeles Rams. I'm impressed with the individual stars. Von Miller did exactly what he was supposed to do. Aaron Donald did what he was supposed to do. Cooper Cup did what he was supposed to do. Matt Stafford did what he. Their stars, the guys they paid for. Jalen Ramsey had an off game, but you know some of that is you know he, they let him rip his face mask off. But, but the Ram stars are impressive. I was impressed with the team the Bengals have. If they acquire two offensive linemen this offseason. They're my favorites in the AFC. I, I mean, their defense, their defensive front seven is better than I anticipated and I thought was every bit as impressive as the Rams' front seven. And and their front four. All, you know, no one has an Aaron Donald, but and Von, but, but I'm just, they're front four. You take all four of them versus the Rams. They can hold their own, and they were playing against a really good Rams offensive line. I was incredibly impressed with the Cincinnati Bengals. They get two offensive linemen, maybe add another corner, and they are my favorite to win the AFC. I, I see the Bengals and the Bills uh, in the AFC Championship game And I like the Bengals. Jason, we said it
2: back in November after the Von Miller trade. The Rams are built for today and now. The Bengals are built for tomorrow. And I'm with you, but it's that old joke. Yeah, the Bengals are two offensive linemen from being really good. Yeah, Anthony Munoz and uh, Max Montoya. So that's certainly going to be uh, an emphasis. And you're right. uh, Eli Rotten Apple, man, he's taking a lot of abuse on Twitter. Uh, You're right. They, They need to get another cornerback. But I'm with you. Here's another stat. While the Rams only rushed the ball an average of 1.9 yards, you know the Bengals actually rushed for about four? And they gashed them a few times. And if you look back at that game, I guarantee you Zach Taylor, when he reviews this film, there's going to be a point where he's like, I should have pounded the run game. Because I thought Mixon did a really nice job of finding cutback lanes, slashing up the middle. So you're right. Overall, if this was a seven-game set, Uh, I'm not so sure who gets the four games, but unfortunately the Super Bowl for the Bengals, it's just one game.
4: But I love their future. Let me go back. Let me go back to where I started the show talking about diversity, inclusion, and equity and Roger Goodell's commitment to it and this game from Joe Biden starting it off with uh, in the pregame interview saying, you know, it's a shame the NFL doesn't have more black coaches to Billie Jean King's bizarre involvement with the coin toss, <laughs> to uh, whoever the singers were of the national anthem in America, the beautiful, completely unknowns. Uh, what what am I missing? That uh, to Ron Torvald getting the the, the uh, lead official assignment, the the two female sideline reporters. This was a coronation, a celebration. Of diversity inclusion and equity but let me ask you this was the game so competitive and the ending so close that actually they they pulled off their celebration of die without distracting from the game
2: look i'm the type of guy once the game starts it's about the game but, Jay, let's go back to the whole broadcast. Number one, next year, uh, were they going to bring in? Martina Navratilova? She checks boxes. Uh, second of all, in terms of the National Anthem and the Black National Anthem, a couple things. The Black National Anthem, did you notice how they had them outside SoFi Stadium? That doesn't seem very inclusive. In interesting. the parking lot. Yeah, hum. <laughs> I have agreements with that. Second of all, um, if you're going to sing uh, America the Beautiful, it just better be Ray Charles because no one could sing that song like him. Okay, and I'll tell you a story one day about how Ray Leonard was inspired to beat Roberto Duran because he actually sung it at the Superdome during the No Moss fight. Also, the national anthem, I thought that young lady was very good. But, Jay, I don't know if you saw this, but the E60 on Friday actually did a half hour special on Whitney Houston's national anthem during the Gulf War Super Bowl in Tampa between the Giants and the Ball Bills. Great game. And I was actually surprised ESPN showed that because it was too patriotic and it actually put America in a good light. I was stunned that the network ran it. I have a petition. I truly believe from this point forward, every national anthem should just be a hologram of the great Whitney Houston, rest in peace, doing that song. Because that's the greatest rendition of the national anthem that I've ever heard. Overall about the game, Jay, there used to be a time when everyone would say the commercials are a part of the game and it's a great facet of the broadcast. Not anymore. The commercials have become so wokeified. I found myself actually just saying, you know what, I'm going to hit the bathroom. I'm not missing much. I don't think there was a single memorable commercial this
4: Super Bowl. You know, it's funny you say the commercials are woke. I didn't, I didn't feel that way. I actually felt huh? they were unwoke and just really? kind of played it straight down the middle and we're kind of pretty boring. I, I, I'm wait a look, minute, J- maybe Jay, I was- what
2: about, the, Jay, what about the camera filter? Um, you know, dark skinned people, you, your camera have been racist against you. Uh, hey people, there's a thing called flash and, and I've seen your Instagram photos. There's filters that one right. I was like, really now camera phones, these things here are racist. Really? Come on, Jay, that didn't get you like rolling your eyes a little bit.
4: Let me tell you what happened. And I know the commercial <laughs> you're talking about. I switched from room to room in the <laughs> middle of that commercial. I heard I could hear it. What was being said, but I couldn't see it. And when I got to the other room, the commercial was playing. Mm. And I actually I promised to God I thought I was like, Hey man, I think my TV has switched from the Super Bowl to something else, and I picked up the remote and was like flipping around trying to get it back on Hulu. I promise a god, and so that commercial just flew over my head. I didn't quite understand it. I didn't know yeah. what was going on. I actually switched channels and came back, and then it was gone. Uh, but the, the commercials didn't didn't bother me. The la- the, the last thing on the uh, the thing I thought was the dumbest thing possible was The Rock. The Rock on the field as the, the kickoff and receiving teams are on the field. What was the purpose of that other than, hey, we get to add The Rock to our diversity, inclusion, and equity parade? Well, look, they've done it before with,
2: like, Michael Buffer, and all he says is let's get ready to rumble. I get it with The Rock. I didn't need The Rock to be Bundini Brown for each team. Just say, do you smell what The Rock is cooking? Everybody know their role. Let's get to the kickoff. I thought that was about 45 seconds too long. One last thing, Dave, before I get out of here. Everyone's talking about the halftime show. I thought it was fine. I thought it was entertaining. Very good production. But everyone rushed out to say, this is the greatest halftime show ever. Okay, if you're going to take it that seriously, I guess. But still, to me, Michael Jackson at the Rose Bowl in 1993. I thought that was excellent. And obviously Prince. But to this day, Jay, the most memorable halftime show that I've ever seen was when the Redskins played the Buffalo Bills and Fox and Living Color did their own version of the halftime show hosted by men on film. And I still remember I want to keep this clean. The two teams that they were representing were the Packers and the Oilers. And I'll leave it at that. But that gets three snaps up and a thumbs up. That was one of the greatest bits of TV I have ever seen. I got to look that up on YouTube. You remember that one, Jay? You had to remember
4: that one. That was incredible. Was that played? That wasn't. Was that played on the Super Bowl channel or on another channel? The game was on
2: CBS, but Fox said, hey, are you bored with these halftime shows? We're going to do our own. So as soon as the first half ended, and I remember Washington was blowing out Buffalo. I'm telling you, all my friends, we went over to Fox for the next 20 minutes and In Living Color did like a little mini show. And the focus was men on football
4: with Twan. Seriously, I'll I'll send you the YouTube link later. It was a great show. Oh, no, I'm looking it up right now. I'm looking it up. (laughs) Men on football, Super Bowl 26 halftime show in living color. Yeah. All right, Steve, I'm going to let you go. Thanks. Tomorrow's playing. We'll see you guys tomorrow.
5: Coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff Nothing in life like freedom Came in like a fighter, striking like a ladder Making all this moves for freedom I want freedom No negotiation, my system, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'll break my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving, all when we all want to be Free.